And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I'm joined today to wrap up the Final Four and our college basketball shows with the Athletics' Brendan Marks. We've made it. We made it to the finish line. Confetti fell. UConn was crowned the national champions. LSU was crowned the national champions on the women's side. We will also talk about that. As a reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Of course, Andy and Ari are up to their usual antics. Me and Chris Vanini will be back with college football power hours the rest of the spring and the offseason as well. But this is our last College Hoops show. We will break down everything you need to know in the sport in an hour or less. Brendan, first of all, we made it. And how good was one shining moment? Like that thing never disappoints. It never does. Although I will say I had to stay up way past my bedtime. Oh, it took forever. It took forever. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there waiting and waiting. And uh, my fiance was texting me from the bedroom. And she was saying, come to bed already. And I was like, I got to wait for one shining moment. Um, but no, it was awesome. It always delivers. You know, I, I don't know if I realized it until the actual moment, but I feel like we didn't have as many buzzer beaters this year. But yeah. the tournament was still so crazy with all the different upsets that it, it I almost didn't notice. Um, but it was a great uh, I love one shining moment. It's one of my favorite parts of the championship. Me too. I, I think you're right. It was more reaction shots to the upsets than it necessarily was like the actual shots. Um, it did take forever. And like I've covered a lot of these final fours when you're on the court for it, and, and it does sometimes drag a little because you're, you're talking to people, but then everyone just starts to stand around and look up. Right. And you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, but it is always awesome to watch the coaches and the players watch one shining moment. Like that is just unbelievable. And I'm so glad our colleagues captured some photos of Dan Hurley and those guys watching it and all over the on-court celebration. Um, so we're going to structure the show as we always do with a power five. And we are going to talk about five topics, news and notes across college basketball. We will get to the women's championship game. There is still so much discourse around that one. But we want to start again with what happened Monday night. UConn beat San Diego State 76-59. It's their fifth national championship since 1999. Dan Hurley has had just a remarkable career and basketball life. Our Brandon Quinn wrote a phenomenal story about his dad and a decision not to go from the high school ranks to the college ranks and then what it meant when Dan did that. Also being the brother of Bobby Hurley, what that has been like. Brandon's done an incredible job chronicling that entire run for UConn. So Brent, uh, you Brendan, we have too many Brendan. Other Brendan. <laughs> Other Brendan on the basketball staff. I feel like it snuck up on people that this is number five since 1999. Like we, we were all kind of saying, oh, there's no blue bloods left in this tournament. And UConn fans would be like, no, we're a blue blood. Like, I think we're a blue blood. Are they a blue blood? Does it matter? 
Yeah, well, one, yeah, I, I think some of this discourse uh, just takes away from the accomplishment that UConn has here. You know, five since 99, more than any other school. And, you know, I thought actually this was a line from uh, Dana's story um, off the championship game, sort of discussing this very point. And Kemba Walker says, look, you, you can talk about Duke, you can talk about North Carolina, but you got to be talking about us too. And I think if you're looking at the actual wins and the, the Blue Buzz are the winningest programs in college hoops, then I don't see how UConn isn't in that conversation right now. I just think that at the end of the day, they have the titles, they have the professional pedigree. And, and also, this is the thing that I think it's swept under the rug and is just crazy impressive to me. It's now been with three different coaches, three, three very different coaches as well, you know, different styles, different backgrounds. Uh, and so, yeah, I think 100% UConn is a blue blood. And anybody who tries to say otherwise, I think, is just detracting from the achievement that they've had, especially, and I know we're going to talk more about this later, but in a year where we didn't necessarily know who would come out um, to go on the run that they did in the tournament itself, I, I think speaks volumes and sort of is the rubber stamp on that. The game itself was sort of not really a blowout for most of it. It, it got to within six a little bit late when you know everyone's ears perked up a little bit, but it was pretty comfortably like a 10 to 13 point game throughout did the way that the game unfolded with San Diego State, you've covered them, you've seen them, you've seen that defense up close. Did any of the way that UConn won surprise you? Yeah, I, I well, listen, I think that we had seen this machine uh, from UConn before. And the first couple of minutes from San Diego State, and, and actually Hurley mentioned this at his first media interview, he said, this is a big stage and my guys look a little bit nervous, quite frankly. Um, and I think that when you look at those those opening few minutes from San Diego State, they made four or five field goals, took a quick lead. It did look like UConn was playing nervous. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, well, if this if this endures, maybe San Diego State has a chance. Um, and then UConn decided that it wanted to be, you know, a bulldozer all over again. And they did what they did to every other team in the tournament. So I, the thing that surprised me was San Diego State has this incredible defense, obviously, but especially from three point. I mean, they they have really, really restricted. That was the key to them beating Alabama. That was the key to the second half against Creighton. That's sort of been the hallmark of this defense. And the way that UConn beats you in so many different ways, um, you know, you had so many different guys hitting them from deep, Tristan Newton, Jordan Hawkins, uh, Caravan. I mean, everybody was hitting. And I think once I started to see that and, and the sort of hallmark of San Diego State's defense was not there, that's sort of when I realized, okay, we've seen this song and dance before with UConn. And it's it's like one of these teams that we thought in the beginning of the year was really special. And then there was what, like two, two and a half, three weeks where they weren't and everyone kind of forgot them and they were probably underseeded as well. So for all those stats about not having a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, yeah, again, you, you could argue about this. So so let's move um, into uh, what it means for the season. This was a season where, again, we weren't sure there was a dominant team. We also talked a lot about the year of the big. And then also maybe you don't win by playing through a big after Purdue loses and some of those teams lose. So we take a step back. What does it mean that this team actually did turn out to be quite dominant, except for that one little stretch in the middle of the season, and that they did win playing the way that they did? And obviously, it's not just that they played through a big, but the way that the rest of the offense and then the defense and the coaching and everything pieces together. 
Yeah, well, you know, we talked about this right when the Final Four was starting, that at that point, out of Miami, San Diego State, Florida, Atlantic, UConn had easily the best front court because what Adama Sanogo was able to give you and then Klingon coming off the bench, I mean, that's unfair. I mean, Klingon is going to be a first-round pick, if not this year, then, then in the very near future. And for him to be coming off the bench, and last night he was in foul trouble. I mean, he is uh, struggling, you know, I, and I thought some of those calls were kind of questionable. Um, so I don't know if year of the big panned out how we thought it would with Hunter Dickinson and Oscar Shibwe and, and Zach Eady and Armando Baycott. Um, but at the end of the day, the front court that UConn had was a decided advantage once it got to the last weekend. And so I think it just goes to show you that for, for all that talk about year of the big year of the big, you do need balance. And that's what UConn had because in addition to Sonogo and Klingon, when it needed to, it had key clutch shot makers on the perimeter. I mean, that Hawkins three, you mentioned it. So San Diego State, second half, they start to go on a little run. I think it was 9-0, and they cut things down to five, and you're like, oh, my God, is this actually happening? And then Jordan Hawkins comes down, hits an onions three, and, and yep, basically that, that was, was over. That, that was, was done. It. That was the shot. And so I think it just speaks to the value of balance. And we talk a lot about guards winning in March. This year was going to be the year of the big. UConn had both. And of the four teams that were left, they had the best balance of the two. And I think that's why they ended up winning. Um, and then as far as their dominance, other than that one little stretch, this is one of those teams that we had hallmarked for the whole year. And you look at their roster construction um, from a basketball standpoint and also just from a team building standpoint with the transfers they've brought in, uh, guys that they have gotten out of the portal. But they've also developed some guys. Um, and so I think that you look at the roster com composition and construction the balance, it's sort of like, you know, Sam Vecini put this on Twitter last night. It is sort of like the ideal college basketball team for the modern era. And again, like this speaks a lot to what Dan Hurley has done. And it's cool to see the whole family get to be included in the moments. The hugs were just awesome. There was just so much emotion there. And I mean, his dad is an institution in the state of New Jersey and is an institution in high school basketball. And Brendan Quinn wrote it well. I mean, like he is one of the great coaches in the game, but we just don't all know that because it's a high school coach. Right. And so that was just one of the cool moments, uh, very full circle moments. And then obviously you saw Bobby there and, and everyone getting into that. You also saw Dan's son, right? Like it was the, the, the generations were, were all there. And I, I think, it speaks to how good all of them are and how much of an impact this family has had on college basketball. It also feels like it's just the beginning. I mean, Brendan, like the, the, if, if this is the way that Dan Hurley can create a roster, feels like we're going to be seeing this coach in this program here again. Definitely feels like that. I mean, Hurley, if he wants to, can be at UConn for another 10, 15 I mean, 20 years. Um, I don't know that he'll want to do that, uh, but that opportunity is there. And now you look at them and you look at, I, I think this is also a credit. You know, I, I know we talked about this a little bit on the last show, but, you know, Miami credited the ACC and the variety of teams that they played and said that is part of the reason why we're in the Final Four because of the variety that we faced. If you don't think that the competition that UConn faced in the Big East helped them get here, uh, I don't know what to tell you. And, and so that's a huge component of this to me is you have a coach now who is proven. You have this pedigree as a, as a program. 
And on top of that, you also have a proving ground that is arguably as complete and as rigorous as any other league in the country. Um, and I think that that's a huge piece of UConn staying power because it's going to continue to have those opportunities like it did this year to get better during the season. Perfect transition to our third topic, number three of the Power Five. And that is what this does mean about the Big East because, as you mentioned, there were a lot of really good teams in this conference. This is also the first year since Jay Wright retired because Villanova obviously has won national championships and carried that flag for the Big East. UConn, now a member of the Big East, they were still in the American the last time that they won this in 2014, but it does hyper-focus the conversation on UConn leaving a football conference to join a basketball conference that it desperately wanted to be part of, figured out the exit fee, figured out how to do this, and went independent in football in this day and age to do so because they felt that this was their identity as an athletic program where their fans cared about, and they wanted to be in a league that prioritized basketball. This now, Eamon Brennan wrote it this way, which I think is a fair way to say it. Schools that are currently in the Big East – have now won four of the last 10 national championships. So that's that's the UConns and, and the Villanovas. But we also saw Creighton incredibly close to making the final four. Xavier back in the Sweet 16 with Sean Miller. You've seen a number of different programs. Providence, you just had, we had major news, right? Providence, Ed Cooley goes to Georgetown. Rick Pitino's joining the league. It's so interesting in the climate, especially as we think about realignment and what's the Pac-12 going to do, what's the Big 12 going to do, that these schools made a decision, the Catholic seven schools, as we called them, made a decision to stick together and just prioritize basketball, not fret, fret and try to run to whatever conference that had big time football that could take them or, or maybe have them as an associate member, whatever it was. These are schools that cared about basketball, did not prioritize football. Um, FCS football, low level, whatever it was, but they wanted to be basketball schools, invest in basketball and be good in basketball. And they were like-minded. They cared about the same things. Fan bases care about the same things and it's worked. It has worked. And I, I think a lot of people look at it, especially in the modern athletic landscape and they go, you can't do that. You can't just put football in the back burner. You can't prioritize something else. And I think for these schools to do that one, I think it takes a, a really high level of self-awareness of knowing who you are and what you're capable of. Um, you know, I think part of the problem that we see in realignment now, and you know, this as well as anyone is you see people trying to position themselves as something they're not something that maybe they have never been. Um, but because everybody else is doing it, you, you think that you have to follow suit and for UConn to now figure this out. Listen, let's, let's also not forget their decision to be in the athletic, you know, to be in the American for a brief period. That's part of the reason why Dan Hurley's here, because what did that bring? That brought a downslide. That is not the reason for necessarily the, you know, unharmonious end of the Kevin Ollie era. Um, but certainly part of the reason why UConn hired Dan Hurley and had to sort of chart itself back on this rebuilding course. I know that clip that's going viral is get us, get us now. Cause it's coming. The reason that UConn had sunk to that depth was in part because it didn't do that it didn't necessarily lean into its identity. And so then once it did, you see the success. And and like you mentioned, it's only getting better. Next year, uh, Marquette and Creighton both bring back a, a huge percentage of their roster. Um, 
I would imagine UConn's going to have some defections now. Uh, but again, now you have a championship winning coach. Rick Pitino comes in. You've got Ed Cooley at Georgetown. That can't be much worse than it's been the past couple of years. Uh, it is a league that I think, you know, you look across the college athletic spectrum and it's different and it dared to be different. And you know what? It's working. And I don't think that's the right answer for everybody. Um, but as we continue to move through realignment, especially as maybe it hits some conferences that it hasn't hit as hard yet, the ACC, the Pac-12, uh, you know, the, the Big 12, as we start to see some more movement, uh, the Big East is positioning itself to just say, listen, do your thing. And we're going to dominate our sport. And that's what they've done for most of the last decade and are positioning themselves to even do it at a higher rate moving forward. And there's still going to be questions, you know, what is their next media deal look like and all of those things. But when you have deep runs in the NCAA tournament, when you have multiple teams go deep in the tournament, you're going to make money. You're also not splitting it by that many. Like it's not a 15 team league. It's, it's such an interesting case study in all of this time. And especially I always think when we see some of these crazy moves, like, oh, let's, you know, 10 years from now, how's this going to look, right? The travel or the fit. I mean, for a long time, it looked like UConn was one of Realignment's biggest losers because they didn't land in the ACC and they weren't getting, you know, those the, that power conference uh, invite. But they spun that into what it needed to be. And again, to go independent in football in this day and age, like that is a risk. And they know that. And we've seen, you know, the struggles. We've seen the lows. We also saw them get bowl eligible last year in Jim Mora's first year. But that cannot be understated, that that is a difficult, difficult decision when you decide to go all in on basketball. And I know the fan base is so happy when that happened and they get to play in the Big East tournament and go to the Garden again and all of these other factors. But it was a big risk and uh, hats off to, to UConn. It was an incredibly dominant run to get to the championship. And I guess we should get used to that because when UConn does this, they tend to go all the way, right? Like we've seen this now with teams that we did not talk about as blitzing through the tournament. Now they've done this the last three times. We saw Kimba Walker was there. You saw Real. You saw all these former UConn greats. But maybe we should just assume this. If they're going to get to the Final Four, they're probably going to win the whole thing. Yeah, the, the fact that they are as good in the Final Four as they are. I think it's 10-1 and one now in Final yeah, Four games. that's an insane stat. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. And, you know, I know, you know, for me, like covering Duke and North Carolina daily, those schools are always touting, like, Final Four appearances. Um, to have a 10-1 and one record in the Final Four is just insane. And, again, cannot emphasize enough with three entirely different coaches, three entirely different styles, um, you know, and, you know, this, this wasn't just the case of Kemba Walker turning into, you know, molten lava or Shabazz Napier doing the same thing. This was a balanced team that had multiple ways to beat you. Um, everywhere you look, there was a threat on the court and, you know, quite, it's a deserving national champion. Um, and I don't say that just cause I picked them once the bracket was released. Although I, I will, uh, I will toot my own horn in that regard at least once. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, let's switch gears. We head to our fourth topic. Let's talk about the women's championship game. Um, I want to start with the viewership number because I was talking to my pal Matt Brown from Extra Points about this, and it's like you don't need to. We're, we're not executives. We've talked about this, Brendan. Like we, it doesn't really matter what the viewership number is if it's low or high. But in this particular case, you still have people who say like no one watches women's basketball or no one cares about women's sports. That is false. We have numbers now. We can use these numbers. 9.9 million people watched this game. It was a record by millions. Like, wasn't close. Wasn't close. Game was on ABC in the afternoon. LSU, Iowa. A lot of storylines coming in. Star power coming into this game. And it peaked at over 12 million viewers watching this game. So, Brendan, my first reaction was, this is what happens when you put the game on ABC. And it's easier than ever before to watch it. Or maybe it's on at a bar. Maybe it's just, you know, like it's if it's accessible, people will be exposed to it. and Maybe they'll like it. But also you had Caitlin Clark coming off of a win over South Carolina that six million people watched on Friday night, which was also record numbers at the time. And you had Angel Reese. You just had had the stars. And. I think a lot of people across the country really liked this Iowa team. They were really captured, they, they enraptured by them. And then you had Kim Mulkey, divisive figure on the other side. You had an incredibly likable LSU team that was built through the transfer portal. There was just a lot of compelling reasons to tune into this game. And I think all of that backed it up that people wanted to watch a good basketball game. And they tuned in to see these star players that they've gotten to know a lot about that have become household names. Yeah, well, you know, to start, I would argue that that Iowa South Carolina game um, over the weekend was, pr- the, I thought, the most interesting Final Four game on the men's or women's side. Um, I thought it was better than San Diego State. I mean, San Diego State Florida Atlantic was a great ending, but that Iowa South Carolina game was insane. And it's almost it's almost like if you put a really good product out with really good storylines and you just make it accessible for people then it's going to do well. It's wild how, uh, you know, and I think you sort of nailed this in your column that you wrote about this topic, but if you have really, really good players, which you do, who have tremendous star power, which in Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese you had, when you have uh, somewhat divisive figures in Kim Mulkey, when you have these huge stakes and these incredible storylines, you have all of the components that you want. There is no argument not to give it the exposure that that deserves. And the result is, is a number that I think a lot of people look at and go, wow, that's the most ever. That's incredible. But at the same time, given all that went into this Final Four and all that there was, that's I, I'm so glad that it got that exposure. But I don't know that I'm surprised because that's what it deserves. Um, you know, and, and I think that finally get, putting on ABC is a huge reason for it. Um, when you have seen those games be publicized and when you see them have the hype and you see them have you know, airtime on ESPN and sports center. And when they lead those shows, it just, it makes a difference. And, um, 
I think it's it's a shame that the championship game maybe wasn't as good as all of that hype warranted uh, for reasons outside of the players and coaches controls. But at the same time, it was still a, a really terrific showing the whole weekend. And, you know, if you are a women's basketball fan or someone invested in growing that sport like we are, um, it was as close to an ideal weekend as you could get. Right, because to your point, when you talk up storylines and give people reasons to care about the actors involved, you then are more likely to tune in. And I think the biggest thing was that that Friday night game and the undercard, Virginia Tech and LSU, both delivered, right? These were were high-quality games, and you got to see Caitlin Clark do her thing. And and I I feel like with her in particular, there's other stars. We're going to talk about Angel Reese in a second. But with her in particular, like if you watch her once, you're going to want to watch her again because it's the shot making so deep. You know, she was blowing past defenders in the South Carolina game too. the passing is exquisite. And she's also going to throw up some shots that are absolutely no, 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 no. Yes. And then there's the no's that just don't go in. But more often than not, she's going to do something just absolutely wild. And so I... I think a lot of people got very invested. And the best thing, of course, is that, you know, Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, they still have multiple years of eligibility left. So they were at least hopefully going to see them square off again next year. They actually face each other in the AU world um, as well. And so they're, they're very familiar with each other. But I, I just think it was a weekend of games that we felt could do this right could draw in more casual fans especially because the star power is so much greater than the men's games it felt like i had no fomo i was in dallas i've covered eight or nine men's men's final fours and i did not feel like i was missing something because i felt like i was in the place where everyone was paying attention to and there were more storylines and that's what happened I, i wrote about this but the officiating was atrocious and it was really embarrassing and i think that that was would have been the dominant storyline had you not had the taunting at the end of the game. So the refs are probably a little bit happy that that uh, took a little bit off the heat from them. But 37 fouls. There were so many ticky tack fouls early in this game. Angel Reese missed the whole second quarter. Three Iowa starters were at four fouls heading into the, the, the final quarter. And everyone's seen it. The technical against Caitlin Clark was just absolutely inexcusable. She just flipped the ball behind her back. And it was so distracting Because there actually was incredible shot making happening, especially from LSU, especially from their bench. But anytime the game got good, it was immediately stopped. There were immediately whistles. And everyone just played differently. I mean, I was a different team when Monica Sonano is not on the court. And also, everyone plays differently if you are in foul trouble. Because you're going to be way less likely to go in for a rebound, to play as hard. I mean, I saw there was one moment where... It was just so obvious because Caitlin Clark took a shot and then just like totally backed away and just kind of went back to go on defense and didn't even follow her shot. And it was like, of course not, because you don't know what they're going to call. And that's what I wrote about. You can read it on The Athletic, but that was really a high profile moment for the game, for the sport, for the athletes involved. And the officiating was not up to par. I've learned a lot (laughs) since even publishing this about how dire the situation is in officiating in the women's basketball. It is nowhere near as organized from a training standpoint and like the feeder system and everything as even the men's game. And there's lots of questions and issues in officiating there. There's a, there's questions in officiating in every major sport right now. It feels like everyone's at an inflection point. 
But the fact that there's not more, there's not like consortiums and this training and the efforts and the organization that are there on the men's side, this is a huge problem because this game is growing and you're just going to continue to see a major spotlight on this. And these games need to be officiated well. And they also need to keep the star players on the court. Not to mean if they foul and it's obvious, you don't call it on them. But the way that that game was called did not keep the star players on the court. And it was egregious to the point where John Adams, the former national coordinator of officiating for men's, he never comments on the women's game. He doesn't watch a lot of it, but he'd been getting into it, this tournament, like so many fans. And he commented on it and he talked to me and he just said it was awful. And it was something that is a problem and was a blight and was an issue for a sport that is having a meteoric rise. When the players and the coaches deliver like they're supposed to, and you detract from their ascent, you're, you're hurting yourself. And everything that you said is hundred percent true. Uh, you know, for me, I think, I think I saw some social media discourse about Caitlin Clark and, and her defense, especially late in the game. And, you know, why isn't Caitlin Clark contesting all of these threes? Why isn't Caitlin Clark, you know, uh, why isn't she being more aggressive defensively? Well, it's because she's got four fouls and there's an entire quarter to play. It's because she can't. Um, I think she made what one, one, two pointer, you know, the entire game. And that's because she can't drive in. She can't risk getting an offensive foul. It completely changed the way that she had to play. Like you said, Monica Sinano, like when she's not on the court, it's a totally different team. Um, you know, and you could see how frustrated Kim Mulkey was. Kim Mulkey was basically at mid court, uh, frustrated about the state of things. So although she never got in trouble for that. Interesting <laughs> was, how that also, works, isn't see, it? That was, that was also one of the issues. It was wildly inconsistent, right? If you're gonna tee up a player, by the way, I think the standard for teeing up a player should be high. Yes. I really don't think that that's what this is about. And they are college kids and all of these things. So it should be egregious. But if you're going to call a T, if you're going to call a technical on Caitlin Clark for something that did not appear to deserve it. And then Kim Mulkey is like on the court for most of the game and even makes contact with an official. Literally makes contact. And didn't get called for it. Like, that's the issue. This was on both sides. I know people think that like complaining about the officiating is like a pro Iowa take. But no, Angel Reese missed the whole second quarter. Everyone was in foul trouble so early in this game. And the inconsistency of all of this was the problem as well. Because then there would be plays where there was a ton of contact and nothing was called. And you're like, what am I watching? Right, right. It was just incredibly disjointed. And like you said, there were still incredible displays of shot making. And that's the other thing. Like this, this wasn't just a highly anticipated game because of the storylines. That's part of it. It's also because these are really, really good players and really, really good teams. And we can talk about narratives and we can talk about doing X, Y, Z and whatever. And Kim Mulkey coming home and building a team in the portal. And that's all that's all great and well. But these are some really, really good teams that deserve to be able to play at their best and to actually be able to to have I, what I would say is a fair opportunity at winning the game. Um, and again, it did go both ways. I think that, like you said, people think that whining about the officiating is saying, you know, it, I, I do not side with Joe Biden and thinking that everybody needs a participation trophy. And I know we're going to get to that too. Um, but the fact of the matter is these are really good players and the, the trajectory of the game, not anything to do with narratives, was completely different than it should have been. Right. And LSU was the better team. Correct. Right. And, and it didn't you don't need to blame the officiating for that. You blame the officiating for making it a difficult watch. Right. And for the game, not getting the flow and the quality and the starters on the court the same way that you wanted for a national championship game. Let, let's get to that fifth topic here. And that is Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, the taunting, 
the discourse, everything that has unfolded afterwards, which, by the way, it has been one of the worst weeks of Twitter in Twitter's history. That's saying something. This. Yes. And actually, maybe part of it is because the website is kind of broken now, but it definitely has been the type of discourse that breaks people's brains. Because Angel Reese taunted Caitlin Clark at the end of the game because she did the thing about it's time for her ring, but because she did the you can't see me thing that Caitlin had done earlier in the tournament. Brendan, there's a lot to cover here and unpack. Um, what was your first reaction to all of this that has unfolded since? Yeah, so um, my my first and only reaction, well, my first reaction, and I think the one that should be the reaction that everybody is asking themselves is if you have a problem with one player doing something and you don't have a problem with another player doing something, I need you to look at those two players and ask yourself the question of why that is because the actions are the same. There is no difference in there. The action, the difference is in the players. And, and so I think that for a lot of people that's asking them to probably look in the mirror more than they're willing to do. Um, but I think that that's the first thing that struck me was also, did, did Caitlin Clark come out and say in her first post game interview, you know, that taunting really hurt me? Nope. I was, nope. I was so upset. She didn't say that at all. Mm -mm, mm -mm. This is people trying to insert themselves and to, to vouch and to some sort of ownership of quote unquote the discourse. And man, it just stinks. Just flush it all away. Um, so I think that was my first, my first reaction. And the other one is this is something that, I mean, even outside of women's basketball, just in covering women's sports in general, the idea that there has to be a certain way that female athletes behave in order to be accepted or to be championed in the mainstream, is just pretty gross. Um, male athletes are allowed to say and do in the heat of winning championships, whatever they want. And the, again, it's the same thing. If you have a problem with women doing that and you don't have a problem with men doing that, it's time to really look in the mirror and ask yourself why. And, uh, you know, I just think that the women are hold to, they're held to an entirely different standard in terms of quote unquote sportsmanship. I saw a couple of men's players tweeting about, oh, now we care about sportsmanship. Like, give me a break. I just thought it was outrageous um, that we're taking away from the women who deservedly won this championship uh, by trying to, you know, demean them in any way by, by talking about, oh, you need to behave one way or another. You just won a national championship. If I won a national championship, you wouldn't be able to tell me anything. Oh, no, exactly. And Angel has made this point that not only have other players in the women's game been celebrated for the trash talk, um, which, again, I love. I, I I've been saying this all along. We have been saying this. Um, Haley Van Lith, Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, they're all trash talkers. And it's so compelling and it's so interesting. And I would love to be that type of player if I were them. The edge, the, 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 it, 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 the just the energy, the, the, comp the competitiveness. And Angel's like, yeah, you just say that other people are competitor. <laughs> but here we have an issue and, and people are labeling her as classless for doing that and for doing it when the game was over and she was just about to get a ring and like, shouldn't that be enough? And listen, there are people who prefer that football players never celebrate a touchdown and that they just hand the football to the ref. And that's fine. If that's how you want to raise your child or that's how you would play. But a lot of people do enjoy the celebrations. They enjoy the, the, the showboating and the taunting and 
it's a very human element to these things and it's highly entertaining and I love it. And I think that it brings me back to something. I talked to Caitlin Clark for Sirius XM in between the semifinals and the title game and asked her about her trash talking and about how, you know, that just was part of her game. And she said that women should be allowed to have their whole personality in sports. Like we should be able to see this part and not make a big deal about it. And I thought about that too, because again, she did not complain. She, she didn't even see angel doing the, you can't see me thing. She was said she was just kind of at that point, it was right at the end of the game. She was like looking for the handshake line and you could see in the, in the video that she, she misses it. But I just kept thinking that all of these people trying to white knight for Caitlin Clark and say that she's some victim or whatever. She wants people to be able to trash talk and to taunt and to have this personality on the biggest stage in their sport fully just the same way that the men do and I can't imagine that she is anywhere near as worked up as anyone else and this is something that I wrote if we're going to take this sport seriously you let the women fight their own battles we don't have to be all paternalistic and say that like we're doing what's best for them or like everyone needs to be raw raw and positive and and You know, again, like you said, this ideal of sportsmanship that doesn't exist in sports because these are inherently incredibly competitive people. It doesn't it doesn't need saving. It doesn't need people to jump in here and say, oh, my God, how could you do that to Caitlin Clark? We've heard nothing from her to suggest that she was hurt or angry about it. And you know what? Even if she is, then she'll take it out the next time they play on the court. Because that's what someone that is that competitive will do. It was it, a wild news cycle. It's still going, to be honest, because you mentioned this. Like, Jill Biden, the 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 first, first lady. lady, says that she wants to also invite Iowa to the White House because they played a great game. First of all, they lost. That's the main pretty thing. Pretty handedly. Pretty handedly. Wasn't close at the end. And she was there, and that's awesome that she was there. I saw her. She was, like, with Billie Jean King. But this is what I'm talking about. Take this sport seriously. It is a deeply unserious thing to say we're going to invite both of them and give them participation trophies because it was so good for the women. That's not where the game is. The game is in a place where it's compelling, it's high quality, it's drawing eyeballs. These are not people who are just saying like, oh, I want to pat myself on the back for being a supporter of women today. They're watching the game because they want to watch the game. I, like That is exactly the example of what not to do with this storyline with this game and it's really infuriating that people are still doing that because they're still treating this sport like it's a charity case it's a charity project right and it's not and i you know i I would even say you know we talk a lot to go back to the personality side of things and you know this whatever fake ideal of sportsmanship i would argue that anytime we have seen sports individual sports hit their own sort of uh trajectory you know, hotspot, the growth curve, when they really take off, a lot of the times, you know what it's fueled by? It's fueled by transcendent players who also happen to have outsized personalities. We've seen that in multiple sports. That is when the sport gains the most attention. It's when you have incredible players who also have incredible personalities. And that's where the women's game is at right now. You know, we we talked about this a little bit leading into the Final Four, but let's talk about the parity in the women's game right now. You know, this is not a situation where, okay, it's UConn again, it's UConn again, it's Tennessee one year and UConn again. We're not there anymore. LSU just won its first national title. Virginia Tech just made its first Final Four. UConn didn't make the Final Four for the first time in over a decade. Like, 
These are all good things. And uh, yeah, I just think you take away from the growth that obviously the game has grown and the viewership numbers. I know you and I talked about the nerds who would like love and idolize the viewership numbers. It is incredible that the viewership numbers were as great as they are. They do not need, or women's basketball does not need this fake sense of white knighting or of participation or feel bad for the women. The games and the players and the coaches and the sport itself is more than compelling enough to warrant the interest that we saw this weekend. You just have to give it the oxygen and the space to breathe. And I just think all these conversations really detract from that at a time when we should be talking about, you know, an incredible final four. And I do, you know, and like you mentioned, these are players who still have eligibility left. I hope we get a rematch with these teams. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think it's just really, it's just really frustrating to see from having covered some different women's angles. I mean, I remember talking to the Virginia tech girls at ACC kickoff earlier this year and writing a story about them. And they're, th they're thinking, Hey, we can be the best team in school history. And then they go out and they do that. Um, that is a really compelling angle. And those are just things that I think speak for themselves. And you lose all of that when you get, you know, sort of pulled into the muck and the mud of the quote unquote discourse. Yeah, you do. And you have, again, I, I focused on this like paternalism that I felt in a lot of this conversation. Um, Chantel Jennings wrote a great column that focuses more on obviously the racial undertones and the double standard of celebrating, you know, the Haley Van List and Caitlin Clarks, but then having an issue with Angel doing that. There are so many layers to it, and I understand that, and that's why people have gotten very heated about it. But overall, it's been two days since this game was played, and we're all still talking about it. We're arguing about officiating. We're arguing about taunting, whether a situation warranted. So take out all of the, the bad faith arguments in this. It is in a different place because you do want to have those arguments. I've been arguing this for weeks. We should be having arguments about the national player of the year. You can say this player is better than that player instead of applauding everyone and saying everyone deserves their flowers. So there are so many signs of growth coming out of this. And I think it's, it's going to continue. All of these big name players will be back. You mentioned Virginia Tech, Liz Kitley coming back. I didn't even realize that so many of them all have that extra COVID year. Yep. So it's just like, they just continue to have eligibility. That's why Caitlin Clark has two years left if she wants them. Yep. Like that's kind of crazy, but that is one of the other reasons that the game is in a good place because you actually get to know the players because they stick around longer. You don't have one and done the salaries, the starting salaries in the WNBA are low. So you don't have that push. Like I, I just saw this as we're recording Tuesday morning, the the social media followings of the athletes involved. So so Angel Reese is now over a million followers. Uh, Flage Johnson was already there because she's a rapper. So she was pretty close, but she also broke a million. And Caitlin she spits Clark. bars, by the way. Flage oh, Johnson has is, bars. <laughs> she is awesome. By the way, she was one of the – that team was so likable, the players. And she has the biggest personality and – Lil Wayne, I guess, was on the 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 Bird and Tarasi uh, mega cast or whatever, and said that like she's gonna get a feature here from Lil Wayne. Like you win a national championship, and you're gonna be you know in a Lil Wayne track. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. So so she also was it is now over a million, and then Caitlin Clark also had a huge jump off of the weekend as well. So she's over five hundred and thirty thousand Instagram followers. Like that is a huge deal. And we talk about how, you know, NIL opportunities and marketing opportunities for, for these women's players, but all of this goes hand in hand in how this stuff works and, and how it's interconnected. And 
you know, the game is the game is in a good place. And but that doesn't mean that we all need to invite everyone to the White House. Winning matters. Right. Winning should matter. Losing should matter. That's where the game should be. And we'll eventually get there. But that was also one of the annoying parts of this. We don't need to just applaud everyone. These are competitors and they wanted to win the game. Right. And but I, and, and that's the thing is, I think it is there are ways to have, you know, you mentioned the bad faith arguments. Take those out. There, there are still a lot of warranted reasons why we're still talking about this game and why the news cycle is still going. You know, Caitlin Clark's singular brilliance, I think, has, has spurred even more conversations that we sort of hear year over year about WNBA entrant requirements. Um, you know, there are there are lots of actual sports related topics wouldn't you know uh that you can discuss with the women's college basketball game and um like you said i do think it's going to get there i hope it gets there um but it's it's been it has been frustrating to see some of this but i will say in defense of the players angel reese has heard all of this and keeps going and i could not applaud her more for doing that people want to you know, clown her or demean her or bring her down for the taunting for whatever she's calling out the the first lady for this ridiculous participation trophy stunt, whatever. Um, that's what you need. You need players who have that personality and you need to give them oxygen to grow rather than trying to fit them into whatever preconceived box you have for what women's sports is allowed to be. Well said looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, we will wrap this up with the last call, as we always do. I know we've ranted and we've also raved and we've cheers about a number of things already, but that is what we do now. Cheers or jeers. We, we celebrate whatever we would be cheersing to at last call at a bar somewhere, celebrating the end of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Brendan, I will let you go. Is there anything you have not gotten off your chest that you would like to get off your chest? Yeah, you know, uh, and and maybe this is just because I got to write about them earlier this tournament, but I, I would like to give a cheers to San Diego State and to Iowa as well, but to the losers. I know we did this last time, but really for me, it's San Diego State, and it is 
I think just an incredible story of uh, a team that had no deep tournament history. They, they had never been past the sweet 16 in program history, had that incredible 2020 team with Malachi Flynn that got wiped out because of the pandemic. You had multiple holdovers from that team who had stuck around, who had come here. Uh, Brian Dutcher, you know, did his service as a longtime assistant, finally gets his opportunity and San Diego state did not win the national title. And quite frankly, it, it was not a close game for, for large swaths of the title, but but this is a team that is now going to be in program history and potentially because of the success that San Diego State had has the potential to impact the school's athletic trajectory. We're talking about realignment. We're talking about where people fit all of a sudden because of this run. Guess who has a lot more brand name recognition? Guess who has a lot more attractiveness on the market because of the success they just had? And, uh, you know, Brian Dutcher, I think, is a guy who clearly seemed to be enjoying the moment. His players seem to be enjoying the moment. I understand they're upset, but um, this is going to be a really, you know, this is a month that years from now, I think we'll look back on with San Diego state and we'll say, this was what, you know, maybe sparked some things. And I, as much as we had the blue blood final four last year, and we want to see teams that we traditionally root for, I think it's really cool when you have a breakthrough like this for San Diego state and uh, didn't get it done in the end, but had an incredible run and an incredible tournament. Had never even been to an Elite Eight and gets wow. all the way to the national championship game. That post-game interview from Brian Dutcher really was remarkable. I, I was watching it and thinking, wow, that was one of the best interviews I've ever seen from a coach who just lost the game uh, in, in a long time. But it just had such great perspective and all that. So cheers to San Diego State. My cheers is going to go to Jim Nance. A lot was made of his last Final Four. Apparently, he's going to be still giving out the trophy. I didn't realize this. So he's just going to have great, great seats, great tickets. Listen, you know, it's not a bad gig if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, go as a fan, hand out a trophy, go straight to the Masters. You know, like, whatever. That's that's the dream. But there's a lot of pressure when there's something like that. I mean, how many different photos of Jim Nance making the final call were there on my Twitter feed? It was It was excessive. But there are certain certain voices that are just voices of things. They're the soundtrack of a sporting event. And I, again, Jim Nance is more of that for golf and Hello Friends and the Masters and all these things. But it will be different not having him calling the Final Four. And I also just kept thinking, like, there's a lot of pressure on the actual call, right? The actual sign off. And I thought that he just did it perfectly with thank you for being my, oh, friend. my friend. It was it was perfect. I don't know how long it took to, you know, kind of figure out exactly what he wanted to say in that moment, but I loved it. I thought it was great. And there's always change. That's one, the, the one constant in life, but there's been certain voices for certain things for a long time. There won't be for the future. So cheers to Jim Nance. It was, it was a great run. It was a great finish. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you handing out the trophy year in and year out from now. You're not going too far. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, you know, I think I saw some people who said that they thought that that was cheesy or whatever. I listen, open your cold hearts, people. It was sentimental. I thought he nailed it. And like, I think I want the, cheese in that situation. Well, yeah, of course you do. Like, I think there's this tendency to overdo it and he kept it simple. And, and yeah, I agree with you. It will, it will be different, but uh, listen, if I could get a gig, just handing out the championship trophy and then fly straight to the masters, <laughs> I, I would, I would sign up first thing. Right.
right? Yeah, that's kind of the the dream the dream gig, the dream week in uh in, in early April. That will do it for our college basketball power hour shows. They have been really really fun to do. Brendan, thank you. You did two of them. We really appreciate you hopping on and sharing your insight and go read our colleagues coverage from Houston. Go read our colleagues coverage from Dallas. It was a remarkable month of basketball. We'll be back with more college football power hour shows. Uh, later this week and the rest of the off season. But for Brendan Marks, I'm Nicole Auerbach and thanks for listening.